All of us face challenges in our life. It's the things you don't see coming that are hardest to bounce back from. That's what we refer to as things in our blind spot. It's happened to me so many times, whether it's a health scare with cancer, whether it's addiction, or being fired from my own company that I founded. But it's also happened to some of the most successful people in the world. One of the most successful radio personalities of all time is no different. She's been fired 11 or 12 times. I think she may have even lost count. Faced incredible family struggles that most of us could never imagine. And yet, she has been inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame and become the most listened to woman on radio in the United States. Truly remarkable. Our guest today on the Blind Spot Podcast is nationally syndicated radio personality, Delilah. Sometimes you see it coming, sometimes you don't. I was called in the Friday before Christmas and I was told they were letting me go. My husband of 22 years came home the day after our daughter's graduation and told me he had only stayed all this time for the kids. Significant life changes can come fast and without warning. It's what you do next that matters. I mean, nothing changes your life more than a diagnosis like that, but eight years later in remission, and honestly, I'm having the best year of my entire career. And then I went home and I collapsed and I cried and I sobbed and I screamed and I wailed and I'm like, okay, I gotta find a job. Not a single door opened. Until the day when it happens to you, you should always be asking yourself, what's in your blind spot? Featuring Patrick Lennon and Dr. Greg Sinemo. We're so excited for our guest today. National radio personality speaks to 8 million people a week. She's a philanthropist. She's an author, she's an amazing mother, and just all around insane human being. I am so pumped to have her on the show. Delilah, I think it was four years ago, we were in Las Vegas at an iHeart Music event. There's thousands of people. I honestly hated those events, but I went because I had to network. My wife and I were cruising around, and someone told me that I'd get the opportunity to meet you. I was so excited. I'm sure you met hundreds of people that day. We cruised up, and my wife was introduced to you, I was introduced to you, and someone told you I was blind. You looked at me, I think you looked at me actually, and you said, wait a second, you're blind? And I said, I am. And she said, how does that work? The blind guy has the hottest wife in the room? I just think it's very, it's, it's kind of ironic. I gotta, I gotta jump in and say it's kind of, it's a sick, twisted irony that the one man in the room that cannot see is not sighted is married to the most beautiful woman that was in the room. And and if if I if I didn't have the character I have, I'd I'd, I'd hate her and be jelly cuz she's yeah. like so put together. Oh, she no, she's wonderful and she is, you know, she's I mean, I'm a salesperson, so that's why I probably why I got her. Um but delight let, let me let me obviously you are one of the most listened to women on radio, what over 8 million listeners a week. And uh have such a career. And when we started this podcast about being blindsided and sort of what happens when you do get the door slammed in your face or you do get fired or you run into a, you know, a life altering illness or you run into these things, how do you pick yourself up? I mean, Dr. Greg and I were speaking, I would love to learn more about your history and sort of some of the blind spots that you've hit. And I know I've listened to and read a few. Delilah, when, when we talk to someone like you, people might think, wow, you know what? 8 million people listen to you. You're on 160 radio stations. You're in the National Radio Hall of Fame. I mean, you, you are an icon in, in our industry. Um, and people might go, well, she's got it all together. I mean, how can she possibly know about tough times and what I'm going through? And yeah, from the outside in, your life appears perfect, right? 
Um, but if, if any of us who have not read your books um, and, and haven't understood what you have been through in life, um, your life has not been all beer and Skittles, right? I mean, you have gone through a, lo- a lot. Um, and, and I think that's what we want to jump off here because the things that we can help people learn by talking with someone like you who has figured out a lot of life and a lot of how to move on when you've been blindsided by things. Um, that's what we want to talk about today. Are you up for that? I, I am so up for talking about that because you're right. A lot of people who see me at events or who call into my radio. I had a lady call me last night who is going through a tough time and she has some division in her family. <clears throat> And she says, you just don't know what it's like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know what it's like. And, and, and that's one of the beautiful things I can say that with everything the Lord has, ha- not that God has put me through, he hasn't, but everything that he has allowed, um, given permission to attack me or try to bring me down, really has... Um, given me insight into situations that I would not, I would not have the understanding I have, having not been through it personally. Yeah, and, and as a therapist, what really is interesting to me is that you give people an opportunity to to share a voice, and to sometimes we get trapped in our heads when we're in crisis or things are just really blindsided us, and the ability to get out of our head and to talk about hey, here's what I want to dedicate a song to, or here's someone who's really inspired me, or you've inspired me. Um, tell I, I would love to just hear more about kind of what's your favorite type of call over the years that you just look back and go, gosh, I know I know, I helped somebody, I made a difference. Well, I know it sounds corny and trite, but my favorite calls are the ones that I just took. Um, and part of that is because since I lost my boys, I've had some trauma that's caused some memory issues. So I I don't really think back on calls that I took a month ago or a year ago, but the calls that I just took, the show that I just hosted is, is fresh in my mind. And last night I had some beautiful, beautiful calls uh, that just, that really, you know, touched my heart. A single mom who's Daughter is graduating high school, who was told when she was a baby that she would probably never do this, never do that, because she was born, you know, she had some birth defects and health issues. And, you know, the mom, when she was holding her 18-month-old daughter, and and the doctors are saying, well, because of this diagnosis and because of this and because of this, she may not get to participate in PE. She may not get to do this. She may not get to do that. And here she is two weeks away from her daughter graduating with honors and being a part of the drill team. And those are my favorite calls. Those are my favorite calls when somebody is presented with a set of circumstances that they choose to ignore and say, BS on this. I'm going to do what I got to do so my baby girl can Mm -hmm. reach whatever Mm -hmm. level of success she's meant to reach. And nobody's going to talk me out of that. Those are my favorite calls. One story that I know that you may want to share, which I thought was hysterical because you've been blindsided. What, 11 times you've been fired? Is that is that an accurate number? I think it's up to 12, but um, somewhere <laughs> somewhere around there. But here, here's, Patrick, here's something I want to say that th- those kind of blindsides used to undo me. You know, they used to be a big thing in my life. 
Um, but but at the stage I'm at now, and having lived the number of years I've lived, they, they're not even on. They're not even on the radar. They're not even a blip, you know, in in the reality of of being blindsided. For people who have faith, I, I think they might get this. For people who aren't particularly grounded in a faith, great, right? No, no judgment for me. But I'm curious because sometimes when I have been blindsided, and I start to get that, oh man, now what? Woe is me type of thing. I realize that something great is about to come. And I, and I actually pivot from, oh, woe is me to, wow, what is coming my way that's going to be really exciting? Is, does that ever go through your mind? Um, it does. But I think that I, like I said, I've lived enough years and I've gone through enough uh, heartache and trauma to realize that um, career trauma, job trauma is absolutely nothing but God closing a door that needed to be closed that I was too stubborn to close myself. Well said. When... Whenever I have been fired, uh, let go, terminated, um, kicked to the curb, uh, whatever, and with a few exceptions, I, I mean, I got to be honest with you, a few of the times that it happened, I deserved it. I, it was my behavior and my bad choices that led to it. And I own that now. I didn't at 19 or 22 or whatever, but I can look back now and go, oh my gosh, I would have fired me long before that. Um, because I, you know, I was young and I was foolish and I was headstrong and I was, I took risks that I shouldn't have taken and I got tickets in the company car, you know, bad, bad form, Delilah. But after, you know, the fourth or fifth time that I got fired when I was number one and I hadn't done anything and I hadn't slept with anybody and I, I mean, I was really, you know, doing good and I was like, okay, I realized Every time a door closed like that, a much better circumstance, maybe not financially better, but emotionally better or spiritually better, or a door opened that put me where I needed to be. That's so good. That's so good. And one story where this was so true, I was living, I had moved from the West Coast to Boston for a great job. I got a huge raise. I love my life. I bought a 150-year-old house that had been part of the underground uh, tunnel system where freed slaves actually ran to. There was a hidden stairwell. There was a hidden room. It was amazing. Um, and I was only there two years when the door slammed. And I ended up moving to Philadelphia. Uh Good situation, great situation, wonderful people, more money. Uh, you know, I went from eating mac and cheese and top ramen every day to mac and cheese and top ramen with chicken in it, you know? <laughs> and and I was loving life and I was only in Philly two years and the door slammed. The station went to an all 70s format and fired everybody. And I was picked up at the airport by a girlfriend who said, I'm supposed to take you out to dinner with your bosses. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I got to be on the air in 45 minutes. You got to take me straight to the station. And she just had the weirdest look on her face. She didn't say anything, but she turned the radio on. And on the radio, the song by Holland Oates, She's Gone, was playing. <laughs> and then I hear this sweeper, you know, zhoom, zhoom, zhoom. 
all 70s all the time. And I'm like, wow, um, is that my station? And again, weird look on her face. Her name is Judy Asday. She just kind of glanced out of the side of her eyes. And I'm like, that's my station. That's my station? And she said, and I have to take you right now to meet your bosses for dinner. So here I am, seven months pregnant, the only person in the household working. My then husband was going to school, which he loved to do, which is why he's my now then husband. Um, <laughs> he's your ex-husband. <laughs> and, and she takes me to this very nice restaurant. Mind you, I've been on a plane for six hours. I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm swollen up like a, like a watermelon. I walk into the restaurant and I got there about 20 minutes before the two men who, you know, had the, had the duty to put the ax to the chicken's neck. And so I picked up the menu and they walked in and I held the menu up in front of my face and I said, hi, Delilah, are you okay? Did you have a good flight? And then one of the guys sat down and said, what are you doing? I said, I am picking out the most expensive item on this menu. Because I have a feeling um, you're about to tell me that this is my last free meal. And, uh, you know, it was an awkward conversation, but I did have surf and turf. Um, <laughs> and you were fired. <laughs> and, and then I went, yeah, and then I was fired. And then I went home and I collapsed and I cried and I sobbed and I screamed and I wailed. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to take care of this baby, you know, I'm, I'm due in a few months and now I don't have a job, which means I don't have insurance. And the next day, the guy who had let me go called and said, oh, by the way, you just had the highest rating period of your entire career. And so what we're going to do is instead of paying you your bonus now, because my bonuses were based on ratings, we're going to tack it on the end of your last paycheck as salary which means you will have a paycheck coming in through the end of the year. Oh. And you will be covered by insurance through the end of the year. My baby was due in September. This was August. No, it was July. So I had August, September till the baby was due. And what they were telling me is I was going to get a full paycheck because of my bonuses through December. That's amazing. Wow. God provided, right? So I, I'm like, okay, I got to find a job. I got to find a job here. I love this neighborhood. I love this community. I love my neighbors. Got to find a job here, not moving my son again. I sent out probably 50 air checks. And mind you, I just had the highest reading period of my life. Not a single door open. The Christian station said, well, you're divorced, so we can't really have you on the air because, <laughs> you know, you're not Christian enough. Harlot, yeah. And yeah. the soft rock, yeah. the other soft rock station said, whoo, you talk about God a lot. You always say, you know, God bless you. You're way too, way too <laughs> religious for us. <laughs> and, and my then husband said, I feel like God wants us to go back to Boston. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I'm, I'm staying right here, buddy. Good luck to you. And <laughs> through crazy, I can't even tell you how crazy the scenarios were. I got a call after my baby was born from a guy named Ken Spitzer, who I knew about, but had never worked for. He left the station in Boston right before I started working there, but I had heard great things about him. He called and said, um, so how would you like to be syndicated? Wow. And we talked and, and he worked and trying to put this together. And then about 
two weeks later, he called and said, I, it's not coming together. It's not going to come together like I wanted. But I have a friend in Boston who's looking for a nighttime DJ. Hmm. How would you like to go back to Boston? And I'm like, no, 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 not, no, nope. I love it here in Philly. I love my neighbors. I love the school my son goes to. Not going back to Boston. And in my heart of hearts, guys, what I was really saying is, no, I'm a newlywed. I am not going back there because my mother-in-law has got a strong personality and I really don't want her in my life right now to that degree. So I said, okay, God, you want me to go back to Boston? You're going to have to make it really clear. I want X number of dollars and I want to be covered by insurance. Went up to Boston, went to the interview, walked in for the interview. The guy says, I don't have to interview you. I saw your last ratings. Plus, Ken Spitzer says you're wonderful. Uh, I'd like you to start January 1st. Mind you, my paycheck went through December 31st, right? He says, I'd like you to start January 1st. I'll pay you whatever you were making at the last station and I'll put you on our insurance policy on New Year's <laughs> Day. Will that work for you? One door opens. I walked out crying and Doug said, you didn't get the job, my ex. And I said, no, I did. And that means you were right. And I hate admitting that. But so we moved back to Boston, moved uh, in with his parents. Remember the meddling mother-in-law yep, yep, yep. who remodeled her house to give us a place to live in the basement until the house that I own could get ready because the people I'd rented it to had trashed it. We got the house ready. We moved back into our the house that I had owned. A month and a half later, February 18th, my mother in Oregon was diagnosed with brain cancer. Hmm. And I took off. I just left. I didn't even say goodbye. I got on a plane. I flew to the West Coast. I called my general manager and I said, I'm sorry. I know you just hired me. I know I'm supposed to be on the air Monday night, but I am in Oregon and my mother has a glioblastoma and I don't know when I'll be back. And he said, Delilah, don't worry about it. I'm probably the only general manager in America whose mom had a glioblastoma. Oh, wow. Wow. For the next year, I missed probably eight weeks of work going back and forth. And my boss not only paid me for that time, he bought my tickets back and forth more than once. Ooh. What a remarkable man. And that meddling mother-in-law that I, you know, was trying to avoid stayed with my family and took care of my then 10-year-old son as if he was her own. That's amazing. You were very close to your mom, right? I was very close to my mom. Is that, I mean, because I know you, I, mean, do you, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you were disowned by your dad. Is that anything you care to talk about being blindsided there? <laughs> Well, it's funny you would use that term and then this is the name of your show because my father was blind. He was legally blind. He lost his right eye when he was four um, he, with a stick and he lost 90% of his vision in his left eye when he was 29 uh, fixing a washing machine and not wearing safety glasses. So that was, you know, blindsided our whole family. We lost everything. Um, had to move, had to leave the farm, had to move into the town, little town where my dad worked, left 80 acres to live on a lot the size of a postage stamp. Uh, but again, had I not moved to Reedsport, had that accident not happened, I would have never met the Kanegi brothers who started my career in radio when I was in junior high. So everything that looked like it was a horrible situation 
God used for something really, really good in my life. But as a, as a dad of a daughter, though, how, how do you ever, what could you ever do to get disowned by a father? I married a black man. That's, that's my dad this. was a racist and I married a, a black man. Oh my gosh. You know, we like to think it's different times. We like to pretend it's different times, but racism is alive and well. And, you know, we like to pretend like it's not real, but it is very, very, very real. Yeah. And I know I ex- my kids experience it every day. Um, mm-hmm. So now it's not talked about as much as it was then because nobody wants to have those difficult conversations. And so it boils under the surface until it erupts into, you know, protests like BLM a few years ago. But it's because it's not, it's not talked about. It's just a boiling cauldron of pain and rage. So we can assume your dad didn't pay for your wedding, huh? <laughs> well, you had to pay rent. I, I, I listened to you. I listened to your book, Delilah. You, you lied to him about how much you were making, but, but you had to pay rent. <laughs> I did. I did. I was a liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, and I was very, very clever. Well, I can't believe he made a high school girl, a high schooler pay rent. <laughs> I paid rent. I paid my own bills. I bought my own clothes. And at the time, I I wore that on my sleeve. Poor me, poor abused me. And now I'm like, thank you, Dan, for teaching me how to stretch a dollar. Thank you, Dan, for teaching me how to be financially resourceful. Um, Because I can stretch a dollar six ways to Sunday. Well, you have to. You have how many children do you have now? Come on, come on. I, ha- I have 15 children. My husband has five children. Um, all are grown except for four that are still at home. Um, and between us, we have 23 grandchildren. Oh and how many were adopted? Gosh. Uh, that's a good question. I have to stop and count. <laughs> take your 12 shoes. of mine are adopted. Yeah, take your shoes off. <laughs> 12 of my children are adopted. Oh, my goodness. Bless your heart. Delilah, do you want to share a little bit about your charity and, and Point Hope and, and what you do? Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, Point Hope is, my charity is a nonprofit that was birthed. It was actually birthed back in the 90s when I was pregnant with Shayla, but I didn't go through all the legal hoops that I had to do to make it, um, you know, legitimate. Back then, we started feeding people, feeding homeless, um, because God fed the multitude with fishes and loaves. We would go every Wednesday with tuna fish sandwiches. In the summer, we took lemonade. In the winter, we took hot cocoa and hot coffee and started dialoguing, started a conversation with the homeless population in Philly to try to figure out what the core issues were that led them to being homeless. And we formed relationships with some pretty awesome people. And then I moved back to the West Coast and had, you know, more kids and adopted kids. And it kind of, kind of just percolated in my mind to do something. And then in 2003, December of 2003, I got a letter, an email back when we had dial up internet, an email from a lady who said, Dear sir or ma'am, I understand that you adopt black children. My children are starving. We are living in a refugee camp called Budaburam in West Africa. 
would you consider adopting them? If not, will God, would God bless you richly anyway? Sincerely, Winifred Tickley. And I went to hit delete as soon as I saw that, dear sir or ma'am, you know. And then I went, wait a minute, what did she just ask me to do? So I wrote back and I said, who are you and how did you get my information? And she said, my name is Winifred Tickley. I live in a refugee camp and I got your information from a Christian chat room that I'm in. Somebody suggested that I contact you because they said that you have adopted children. So we started a dialogue, which led me to uh, World Vision, a fabulous charity. Uh, I have vetted them deeply, and they are a fabulous charity. And they agreed to take um, a sum of money and go to West Africa and try to help this person. They had boots on the ground. They had people in West Africa where she was at. They were familiar with the refugee camp. They had actually uh, put the water system in a re the refugee camp 10 years prior. And so as I was leaving the meeting with World Vision, a guy named David Snow said, great, you just helped four people in this refugee camp. What are you going to do about the other 87,000? And I flippantly said, they didn't write to me. That's not my problem. And I walked out, went to my car, and on the way to my car, I felt as if the Lord took a two before and hit me upside the head and said, what did you just say? <laughs> and I, I fell down crying, like, what did I just say? And I ran back in the building. Yeah. Everybody had left the room except for David Snow and the two or three other directors. And I said, I can't believe I said that. I'm sorry. I said, but I'm just one person. I'm a single mom with six kids. What, what can I do for them? And mind you, this was before I had signed my contract with Craig Kitchen and Premier, and I was, you know, making less than 100K a year. And uh, they turned to me and they said, why don't you go to Africa and see what you can do? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't even have a passport. If I ever travel out of the U.S., I want to go to the south of France. And again, the two before, upside the head. And again, I was crying and apologizing. <laughs> and a couple of months later, I was on my first flight to Ghana, West Africa. And I came back and we got Point Hope registered. And we had to register in all 50 states as an NGO. Here in the states, because my children at that point had all been uh, adopted out of foster care, here in the United States, we work with kids in foster care. We provide um, support and services, um, understanding that kids in foster care are often um, targeted, trafficked. Rarely do they get permanency, less than 5% are ever adopted. And then internationally, we work in developing countries to support communities so that children can get food and nutrition and access to water and education. And that is, has been my passion uh, since 2004. In the true spirit of who Delilah is, please check out pointhope.org. That's pointhope.org. Check out the stories, check out the pictures, check out the videos. They need financial donations. They need time. They need anything you can give them they're amazing. Please do it for the kids. Please do it for Delilah. Please come check us out again on our next episode. We have more conversation with Delilah. Can't wait to share more of your story. Thanks for listening. 
behalf of Dr. Greg and myself, we want to personally thank a few people. Delilah, thank you so much for your time, your candor, and being such an amazing human being. Greg Kitchen, for the contacts, the friendship, and the continued support. Chris Kelly, amazing production and producer. You rock. And everybody, please like the episode if you liked it, share it, comment on it, and we'll see you next time. This has been a production of ROI Media 360.